Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Larry Kreider here with the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast. With me today is my good friend, Peter Bunton. Peter, welcome. Thank you, Larry. It's great I, to be here today. I've been looking forward to this because you've learned so much through your PhD studies and all the people you've talked over the world about leadership succession, training people to take our place, which applies obviously to any area of leadership, whether you're a young leader, whether you're in business, whether you're in the church leadership or whatever. Yeah. So I really want to pick your brain on this and we're going to learn a lot together. Well, great. It's great to be here and it's a topic I really uh, feel is very important and it is. I love talking about it. So thank okay, you. Okay, great. Well, before we do that, let's talk about you, Peter. Okay. Now, your accent gives you away a bit. Uh, I don't think you come from Pennsylvania originally. <laughs> no, I say tell people New Jersey, but actually <laughs> from London. So I was born in London in Great wow. Britain and I grew up there and um, spent my uh, youth really in the city and then sure. I went away for education, um, spent a bit of time living in Greece and Germany and studying wow. and things. So that's my, my you background. You are a global person. Well, that, thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, talk a bit more about what it was like growing up in London, what it was like as a kid, uh, and then uh, we're going to talk then more about how you ended up getting to America. Okay, sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I grew up on the east side of London, which is really the poorer side. So okay. it wasn't a kind of a, a wealthy uh, place at all. Uh, I grew up in a wonderful home, loving parents, and with a knowledge of God. Sure. We were part of the local Anglican right. or, or Episcopal church. So I grew up with a knowledge of God. And it was when I was about 16, I would say, it really came alive to me, my faith largely through some boys at my school who shared their faith and wow. gave me things to read. And through them, I realized that it wasn't enough just to believe in a God, that I had to make some kind of decision to sure, follow God. Sure. So you ended up obviously here in America eventually, but there's a whole path that God took you through before you got there. Some of that had to do with youth with a mission. How did that all happen? Correct. Yeah, well, when I was uh, studying, I spent a, a, quite a bit of time in Greece and involved with evangelism in Greece uh, on the campuses in northern Greece. And I think that set something inside of me about proclaiming who Jesus was in other languages sure. and other cultures. So after my studies were finished, I went into you know work and professional world for a bit. But something inside of me said, no, I have to be out there involved in world missions. So when I was, I think, about 26, I started to think about leaving my career and trying to find a place in world missions. And that's where I found YWAM as I looked around what would be the best kind of environment for me to be sure. in with discipleship 
leadership and working among the nations. You ended up in leadership in YWAM. I remember in England, talk about that. Correct. Because you have a lot of leadership experience. Correct. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I led, with my wife Ruth Ann, we led one of the large uh, Youth with a Mission bases in southern England. We probably had about 35 staff and we'd have probably about 100 students sure. a year coming through training and doing overseas outreaches. So I was involved with leading that. We had uh, projects in Albania at the time, in northwestern India. So leadership experience there. And then also at another YWAM based in England, involved with a ministry specifically focused on leadership development yes. and training people in biblical leadership principles. I remember well when one of the gals who was, when I was a pastor, was in our church, went to YWAM in England, and she met the director, you, and yeah. ended up marrying That's right. <laughs> you. That's Ruth Ann. So she's originally exactly. from your yes. area, Larry, right. Lancaster, Pennsylvania exactly. area. And we met uh, over in Europe. Um, we married and we spent, I think, the first 14 years of our married life uh, overseas working in Michigan. And eventually, you both came back here and got involved here in the, the, the global ministry, really in missions. And you've served for years on an international leadership team. We yeah. call it an apostolic council. And of course, a lot of what we do worldwide is we help leaders train leaders who train leaders who train leaders. It's the whole succession process. Yep. And uh, talk to us about how you've learned about this. I know your PhD studies and all that, and I know you've helped leaders throughout the world already with this whole process because of all that you've learned. You have a wealth inside you. I want to dig some of that out today to help anyone who's in leadership because we know that key to leadership is being able to train someone else to take our place in the future. Yes. Well, I think I was attracted to the topic because it seems so crucial. Uh, leaders build up ministries uh, over a number of years, and then what happens? They mm -hmm. get older, things need to change. And I began to see how crucial it was, but also how problematic it could be in some situations. So I started to investigate this and read books, and I found that there was quite a lot of proper academic research on this topic within businesses right. and organizational development issues. But there are very few people who'd really looked at this seriously within Christian ministries sure. uh, around the world. And the approach often was, well, we pray and God will show us right. somebody, uh, which I'm sure is true. But those words cover multiple issues of deliberation and discussion and discernment. So um, I set out when I was doing my doctorate through the University of Manchester in England uh, to study the whole issue of leadership succession within international Christian movements and organizations, particularly focusing on founder succession. So what happens the first time an organization mm. has to face this issue of leadership succession. From this is very leaders. intriguing because here in America, at least, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were thousands of new churches, thousands of new ministries that started in our nation. Some of that came out of the Jesus movement, people came to Christ, some of that came out of the charismatic movement, but so yeah. many. And now, you know, here I am, I'm 70, I was yeah. part of all that. 
And now we're finding there's a need for proper succession for the future. And I know there's quite a bit written about churches and how that works in local churches or can work in local churches, but it's very little, if anything, written about movements. Correct. And I agree with what you said about the USA, but also in other countries. So I'm True. from Great Britain and many new networks of churches started in the 1980s, this whole period. Correct. And as you're saying, those leaders are now 70, 75, 80. So they have just gone through succession or they're facing it. So there are a lot of church movements or mission agencies who are really having to deal with this. And issue. I've watched a lot of movements that are going through this, this whole process now, going through a really hard time trying to figure out yeah. how does this really work. Yeah. And obviously, we all want to finish well. You know, I think a real key to leadership is to be able to turn things over to another generation in a way that's healthy. And so there can be great blessing continually uh, from the founders and those who started the whole movement to where we're at today and where we go in the, in the future. So I, this is really, of course, Peter, as you know, this is very real to me yes. because I find myself in these shoes. You know, we started this little church here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, 25 people in 1980. They grew to a few thousand people by, you know, again, God's grace. And then, we, so I understand some succession processes because we trained leaders. We had we had eight, we called celebrations. We trained eight leaders for that. And then we became a movement in 1996. And, you know, we had 11 churches and we really, we often say gave the church away. So we had some succession happening there. But I find now I'm in a different place. You know, uh, I mean, for a while I was leading the whole WSA team. Uh, and of course, you know, and, and the international team, we kept giving that away, giving that away. But now, I mean, for me, after 41 years of ministry, realizing that, okay, now in a couple of years, we really want to see younger leaders take our place. So we're right in the throes of that right now. So I am really personally interested in every word you have to say. Okay, well, great. So <laughs> why is succession important? Well, I think you've already started to outline some of the issues. Uh, Leaders obviously set vision for an organization and strategy, and we're often aware of that. But also, perhaps we're not so aware of how leaders set the values, the culture, the ethos of the ministry mm -hmm. or the organization that they, they start. So leadership succession is important because it's about appointing fresh people who are going to re-envision things. They're going to come up with fresh vision. Mm -hmm. They may have to make changes. Uh, maybe it's about following on with the same values and ethos. And how do you do that without making the wrong changes, but right. making the right changes. So it's a very important issue and a very crucial issue. And as you say, uh, some organizations have handled it well, some not so well. So I think there are some things to learn in all of this. And there are some pitfalls to avoid, hopefully. Right. Well, in light of that, so you talk about there's certain processes we use. So what are, what are some of these processes that people may employ in succession? Give us some examples. Of sure. And I'll happily do that. I'm not saying I would agree or recommend okay. all of these things, and we can talk about some of that. Sure. Just from observations. Um, there's one method called the horse race method, actually, that some organizations and even ministries employ, which is really to kind of appoint a few possible 
successors into different positions and then you sit back and watch them and so this word horse race comes out who's going to kind of rise who's going to take the challenge who's going to perform well so some have tried that approach though often within christian organizations there is a bit of a reaction to that because it sounds a little bit competitive perhaps or you know of the flesh rather than spiritual discernment however i would say i think from the scriptures we see Jesus going through periods when he observed his disciples right. to see how they were doing. So in Mark chapter 1, uh, he called them. But in Mark chapter 3, which was a considerable period of time afterwards, he appointed them to be apostles. Right. So it seems even Jesus had this period of time when he was watching the disciples to see who would be confirmed to him for the position you know, of apostleship. So that's one method. Um, people talk about relay succession which obviously is the metaphor of a relay race in athletics where maybe someone is appointed and works alongside and with the existing leader for a period of time to learn to be trained trained and then obviously the as in running that first runner kind of then steps back and gets off of the running track and lets the next person uh, go with it so some have tried to do leadership like that Uh, Some go through this whole idea of a comprehensive search, and that's common in a lot of churches and denominations where they appoint a succession committee to kind of look who is out there, Mm -hmm. who are all the candidates who are out there. I mean, have you found as you, and you've studied this for years, you've met with leaders all over the world, and I hope you talk to us more about some of that, because that was very helpful to me. And but you serve on a succession advisory team that's helping me right now, my wife, Laverne and I, with with this whole process with us and with our international team. Uh, So would you you feel, you know, you, you feel like, You've seen these processes work? Have there been some processes you feel like have been better than others? Especially right now, let's think of the church world for a minute. Again, this applies to business, applies to every area, any ministry. Sure. Well, I think one of the big issues that comes up in succession is do we appoint from within the organization and ministry or from outside? Now, that's a big issue in business, and there's a lot of research on this, and a lot would seem to indicate it can be a lot better to appoint people within your organization. Even in the business world? Even in the business world. Even in the business world. So if you know the book From Good to Great, for example, Collins and Paris, they're very clear these high-performing companies on average, they're six times more likely to appoint their leaders from within. Although there is some research that seems to indicate if there's a real crisis in the organization, then sometimes appointing outside brings in a whole fresh perspective. Christian ministries really stay within. They all seem pretty clear on this. They want to appoint within because they feel you have to be part of the church movement or the mission agency to understand the values sure. and the ethos. This is not just about business strategy and you know financial goals. It's passing on a spiritual ministry that has been imbibed with certain things from God. So I think in the Christian world, people largely look within their organization for the next uh, leaders. So that's something that is pretty universal uh, across the board. You keep using the word values, that they still have the values. Talk a bit more about that. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think values are the heart beliefs people have. And in some ways, it's 
connected to, but a little bit different from things like theology sure. and doctrine, because Christian organizations and ministries often have a statement of faith or they they believe certain things about the scriptures and who God is. And many of those things are common to many Christian ministries. Right. You would expect right. that, a certain belief about God and the, sure. the, the person of Jesus Christ. But really, more subtly, Christian ministries can differ very much as to where they put their focus, what is actually important to them. And values are often the way we do things rather than what we do. So it's how do we treat people? Maybe how do we make decisions? Mm -hmm. Is it one person making a decision? Is it consensus? Is it discussion and dialogue? And values come out in these processes within an organization. And many of those have to be learned over time because they're often subtle. Even organizations are not quite aware, aware of what their culture is or what those values are. Are. So it takes a while to learn them, to imbibe them, to okay. reflect upon them. You talk sometimes about tacit knowledge. Yes. What is that? Well, tacit knowledge is a very interesting subject and is very important, actually, in this whole discussion about succession. Tacit knowledge is all of the, the things that we know subconsciously the things we automatically do that we perhaps haven't really thought about are or articulated uh -huh. so uh for example if there's a crisis how do we handle it if we need to raise finances how do we do it how do we deal with praying for certain things how do we deal with certain pastoral issues within the organization and often we do these things without really reflecting on why in a very mm -hmm. conscious uh, way. And what happens is that a leader who's been around for a long time, especially a founder, will have done things over years and decades and perhaps not thought about why and just does them. And they probably work. Right. But then the next leader comes along. And if the old leader has disappeared from the scene, they don't often know those things. And so they're faced with a crisis. They're faced with an issue. They're faced with dealing with a pastoral matter. And uh, that tacit knowledge has to be passed on to help the new uh, leaders. So this is also very important in businesses as well, and there have been some studies on this. So often what needs to happen is a conscious effort. How do we get all of the stuff inside the head of the leader of the founder <laughs> that's just there that he or she does automatically without thinking? How do we get it out so we can think about it and reflect on it? So, for example, Larry, what we've done here, you know, is uh, I've sat down and I've yes. interviewed you and your wife, Laverne, and asked many questions. And we've just written down what your responses are. I think we've, we're up to about 12 pages of documentation. Right. <laughs> and it's like there's incredible wisdom within Larry Crider and Laverne Crider to deal with all kinds of things. But we want to know what it is. 
while you're here to reflect. So it's things on we it. just do because yes. of who we are and what we've yes. learned over the years. Exactly. Don't even think about it. Exactly. It could be personal contacts. If something needs to be prayed for, who do you go? Who right. knows is going to be a prayer warrior? Right. If it's a financial issue, you need to raise. Where do you go when you really need to raise some finances sure. in, a, in a crisis or something? And stuff you will just know who to go to, what to sure. do. We want to make sure those following us also have access to some of those resources, some of that knowledge. So tacit knowledge is what's inside the leader, the founder. And as part of succession, we want to try and get it out, want to document it. So it's there. It's wisdom. It's corporate wisdom for the future. I found this so intriguing because I never heard of it before. And then he sat down with Laverne with myself and asked us all these questions. Our team, our internet, our global team... Also, he gave you questions to Correct. ask us, yes. and uh, I assumed everybody knows all this and realized that's really not the case. Yes. And we're, I think, into our fifth year now already in this whole process. We've got a couple years to go yet till we turn the reins over to somebody else and excited about the process. And But this was a part of the process I yeah. never would have thought of in yes. a million years. So yes. thank you. <laughs> yes. And I think, too, we've not wanted to shy away from some of the difficult things. So right. I know we've asked you questions, or maybe Laverne. Laverne, when people come and attack and criticize your husband, Larry, right. how do you deal with it? What, yeah. you know, Just things like that right. that we know happen right. in life and ministry. Right. And we've been trying to get your wisdom and experience so it's available right. for those who right. are going to be following you. Peter, we have many leaders and future leaders listening to us today and from many different stages of life and ages, whatever. And some might say, well, this is just when I'm turning 80 or 70 or 60 or whatever. You know, I don't even think I need to deal with this. But talk to us about that. When's a good time to start thinking about talking about succession? And who should raise the issue? That's, yes. that's an interesting question. It's very interesting. And there is some research and writing on this. And it seems to be clear that it's very good if the leader himself or herself can start the conversation. And we did that. Yeah. Because people are a bit embarrassed. Maybe they see the leader getting older and think, right. oh, you know, what's the future going to hold? But out of respect and deference sure. for the leaders, people don't want to say anything. So it seems to be fairly clear if the leader himself or herself can initiate the conversation saying, hey, guys, I've been doing this for whatever, you know, 25 years, sure. sometime in the next few years, we need to think about this or I'm getting older. It gives people permission to express mm -hmm. their concerns, mm. to ask their questions. So it does help a lot if the leader sure. initiates When's a good time? It. Well, I think it depends a bit on the size of the organization okay. and also on the level of leadership. Now, something like an international movement of churches, of a thousand churches or two thousand churches or a mission movement right. with 50,000 staff or missionaries, that's quite big. And so I think there needs to be considerable time for that because as part of the process, inevitably, we will want to hear from the people in our movement. We will want to hear concerns and thoughts for the future. And there needs to be some processing. And that can just take a bit more time in a bigger sure. organization. So I think it can depend on, yeah, the size of the organization and the level of leadership. So probably a few years, most international movements I've studied take some years to really process this and come up with plans and consultation. Uh, so it 
it rarely happens well overnight. Yeah. I remember reading some years back in the book Next, which deals with succession for churches yes. and pastors, senior pastors of churches. And they they mentioned that in that book, the authors mentioned, they think it's important that when you get into a new position of leadership, you start thinking about it immediately, which was Correct. a new thought to me. Correct. Yes. There are some very well-known business executives who've said from now on, uh, the most important thing I do is think about my successor. And that was nine years before the, right. the guy was retiring from right. his position. So a lot of strategic thinkers in the business world and in the Christian world think yeah. long term on this issue. Because if there has to be training, if there is to be an impartation of values, that just takes some That's time. Right. It That's takes right. time. Now, how can an existing leader like myself be encouraged to let go? And what can be hard for the outgoing leader? Yeah. You're talking to me now. I sure. want to hear this. <laughs> well, I'm talking to you, but I know you well, and I, I know some of the problems I've seen elsewhere, I don't believe will happen with you. But I think one of the issues for some leaders is clearly they've done this thing for so long. Yeah. It's who they are. It's right. their life. And that's tough to <laughs> let go. So I think there has to be that willingness on behalf of the, on behalf of the leader or in the heart of the leader to say, I know this needs to happen. Part of success in my ministry is handing over well. And some people kind of, they might say that with their words, but inside it's a real struggle. You know, they've been used to controlling and managing this organization, whatever it is. So I think the leader needs to be willing to relinquish responsibility and people around him or her, family and colleagues, need to help with that process. So that's uh, one thing that's uh, important. I think what really helps is if the outgoing leader has a vision for what they're going to do once they've handed over the responsibilities. It not only helps them, it helps everyone else right. around them. Right. Uh, and many leaders who have been executives or founded a Christian ministry, they're the kind of people who don't want to just go and play golf every day or you know, spend every day. Doing that would be boring to me personally. Yeah, <laughs> just who they are. So there's a question of how will God use this leader in the future? Maybe they've handed over their sort of line management, their executive responsibilities, you know, spiritual authority in the ministry. But clearly they have health and their, their sure. gifts are flowing. The body of Christ, we will still want to learn from them and use them. So I think it's important that the outgoing leaders have a sense of what they mm -hmm. will do, what the vision is, and their spouses are involved with that if they're married. I think it's also just practically there is a financial plan for that, that the outgoing leaders know, you know, are they still receiving some income from what or are they living on mm -hmm. retirement savings that also helps the people around them, bless them and let them go, knowing practically sure. they're going to be taken care of. And this isn't sure. going to be an issue of hardship. So there are some things like uh, that. Um, but there is a thing called founder syndrome. I was going to ask you about that okay. next. Well, founder syndrome is really some of the problems that happen, especially when it comes to leadership succession from a founder. And one of the big issues is the founders just can't let go. Right. I mean, this is them. This right. is their life. So that raises very important inner issues about identity. You know, yep. Is my identity yep. my job or my ministry or the fact that I'm called the director? So 
often there needs to be almost like a pastoral care and walking through this with the founder. So it's very important to have those outside advisors involved with the process, Mm -hmm. even post-succession have pastoral care for the founder, someone checking in, because that can be an an issue otherwise. Yeah, or speaking of founder syndrome, I mean, I've watched ministries, some global ministries, some national ministries, who've gone through founder syndrome, and there's quite a few. And what I've seen happen, and I've seen happen is it's turned over to a new generation of leadership, but then the founder doesn't agree with the direction it's being taken. So the founder then either starts another parallel ministry just like that, or goes tries to come back in and take it away again. Yes, and it's just terrible. It, it is. It really is. It, it hurts a lot of people. Yes, it, you, you're correct. So it needs to be very clear. There is a handing over of spiritual authority and responsibility. Having the role of the founder post succession, having that clear, that's, as I said, is very important. Everyone has agreed to it, signed off it. And they are not going to, you know, come back and step in. So it can be a problem. But I think with proper planning, with agreement, knowing what the future holds for the the founder, what they're going to do, those things can really help. And some founders continue to have a role. Often it's more of an ambassadorial role where they go out and speak or train leaders or raise funds or whatever it is. It doesn't mean... There has to be no role, but whatever role has to be clear, what the authority is, and the new leader or leaders obviously need to agree with that role. Exactly. And one thing that's helped us is you're on the team that's been helping us walk through this. And we were asked, Laverne and I were asked to take time with the Lord and discern what are we really called, who are Larry and Laverne? What are we really called to do and be in the future? If we're not involved in Devon National at all, we we always just expect that's our family. Obviously, we're the great-great-great-great-grandparents or whatever, but not in a leadership role in the future. And so what? who are we? What are we doing? You know, we pray about that. And just, Laverne and I discuss that, and we realize there's probably two things. One thing is we are spiritual parents. That's who we are. We teach on that. That's who we are. And we're going to be helping leaders throughout the world, in the Dove family and beyond, however that works. We just want to be spiritual parents and be there, not directing some kind of a ministry, just being there as spiritual moms and dads. The second thing is we have, in much of our life, we have created resources for the body of Christ, you know, whether it's writing books and seminars and and uh, or like podcasts just like this or whatever. Yep. And we've realized, yeah, we're called to do that. We're called to bless and help the body of Christ. So as we see our future down the road a few years, we realize, yeah, there are things that we're called to do. And that's who we are, regardless of whether or not we're the international director of Devon International. That really has nothing. That's just one way that was fulfilled in the past. So yes. this whole process, Peter, and you've been part of it, key part of it, has been a great blessing to us as we're walking through the, this whole process. Another question, how can an incoming leader be best prepared for their new role? Yes, well, obviously training is important. What are the skills? What goes with the job? Often shadowing the outgoing leader for a period of time so there's mentoring can be very uh, helpful as well. But I think, too, the organization or the ministry has to deal with this issue that the incoming leader will not be the same person as the outgoing leader, especially if it's a founder. People have only known one leader of their ministry if it's been a founder. And to realize whoever that person is, whoever he or she is, they will have a different personality. They will probably have a different mix of spiritual gifts and competences within them. And they're going to do some things 
differently. And I think if an organization can talk about that ahead of time, even identify here are the things we think the new leader is going to take on. The old leader used to do this and this. That probably won't happen in the same right. way. That kind of honest conversation can be very helpful. Otherwise, the new leader comes in and starts to do things differently. And you just get this reaction. Well, we didn't do it that way when Larry was around. Right. And is that an important value issue or is it just difference of style sure. and personality? Right. So kind of. Talking about that, trying to articulate those things can be very helpful for an incoming leader. And also, I think the outgoing leader has a role to playing this because it's wonderful if the outgoing leader publicly communicates, this person here is different from me in these That's ways. Good. He's released to make changes. I'm going to be here praying and supporting yep. him or her. And he will probably do some things different from me. And that's fine. I want you all to know it's fine. So the outgoing leader can communicate encouragement mm -hmm. and support that's of good. The, the future leader. I've often heard you talk about ceremonies, too. Yes. Yeah, just talk about that for a moment. With the importance of that and any examples of that. Sure. Um, yeah, it's very important that the handover is clear, even a, set, a certain date right. uh, when the responsibility is handed over and some kind of ceremony where this is public, where people see this happening, where people can be part of it. They can pray for the new leader. They can bless the, the previous leader. That seems to be very important. Otherwise, it kind of happens, but there's no clear marker in people's minds and their, their spirits. So it is important. Um, and interestingly, one of the things I've done is studied certain aspects of church history. And throughout church history, whenever there is a, an appointment of key leaders, there's always been some kind of ceremony, often a giving a gift, mm -hmm. something symbolic happens. Right. There's some symbol that's used that visually speaks to us, emotionally speaks to us, a change is happening. So I would encourage people to do the actual transition publicly with some kind of ceremony that people can see and feel and be part of. That's actually quite an, a crucial thing. And sometimes particularly kind of evangelical charismatic churches don't sure. want to go there because it feels a bit like liturgy and right. symbols, but actually it's very important. Okay. That, that's, that's really, really helpful. Now, uh, you know, in the scriptures, we look at you know, Jesus and the 12, you know, we, we look at uh, Moses and Joshua, and we look at Elijah and Elisha, and, you know, uh, you know, David and Solomon, we go on and on the, the different examples of succession in scripture. Now, is there a best way? I mean, is there a normative way? Or is it all over the map? Yes. Larry, this is one of the great questions, I think, in succession within Christian movements. Some people are trying to find a way. This is the biblical way yeah. to, to handle it. And they go to some of the examples you've mentioned, you know, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Joshua. But what I find interesting is that even these scriptural examples, they are a little bit different. They're not all they the are. same and doing the same kind of thing. So personally, I would say that there's a huge freedom from God how we handle it. And I think it depends on many things, who the leaders are, what the organizational ministry is. So, for example, I've read 
articles in scholarly journals that make a lot about Elijah and Elisha and offer this as a model for leadership succession. And it obviously was a wonderful scriptural example of powerful prophetic ministry. <laughs> but are we all Elijahs? <laughs> are the new leaders all Elishas? Uh, is that example there meant to be a model we have to follow? And of course, one of the things about Elijah and Elisha is Elisha really was a continuation of the ministry that of Elijah. True. It went further and yeah. expanded, but it was the same kind of thing. One of the questions Christian organizations ask sometimes is, do we want the next leader to be like the former leader? Or was that leader a wonderful person and mix of gifts for that period in time that this ministry needed? And now do we face such different issues and challenges and live in such a different culture that we need someone rather different from the previous leader with a different set of you know, gifts and strengths and so mm. on. So I think the whole question of normativity, is there a right way? I find I'm not convinced by that idea because I see variety in the body of Christ. Many of them have handled it well, but differently. And I think the context in which we're doing it, the issues we face should also help shape what the succession is about. So how does our theology shape succession? Oh, theology really does <laughs> shape succession. And one of the things that I found in my PhD research, which is available in, online, is that organizations often did not pay enough attention to their theology and it kind of trapped them along the way. And I found that in succession, anything that's not clear in terms of your theology of leadership, church, government, decision-making, it comes out during succession and right. it causes a problem. Right. So I would say to people, sort out your beliefs about leadership and decision-making and church government before you get into the succession um, process. But yes, I mean, I'll, I'll use an example. Please I'm happy do. to quote it. It's public knowledge. It's written about uh, the group of churches, New Frontiers, yes. originally came out of Great Britain, now hundreds, probably a couple of thousand churches around the world. They went through succession and they believe very much in apostolic leadership. They have a theology of modern day apostles. So for them, because of their theology, they decided this is not a question of appointing one successor to our founding apostolic leader, but we will appoint multiple apostolic leaders. Yeah. In fact, they would say, we don't appoint them. All we can do is commend these people to our churches and ask the churches, do you recognize this person as an apostolic leader in your life, in which case you become part of their sphere of authority right. or their movement? So their understanding of apostleship completely influenced the very processes and structures of how succession happened. So theology does become important as to what we believe about decision-making and how we appoint leaders. Very, very helpful. And you sat with Terry Virgo for a few days and, and you know, yeah, understood how they processed all this. And we see the blessing of God on that. But there's so many different roles, obviously. And just a couple more quick questions before we close today. This is so helpful, Peter. Uh, are there some other things that you want to mention that could help with a smooth succession for a new leader? 
Sure. I mean, there's quite a few. We've mentioned some. I think the founder having a plan is important, including a financial plan. Um, I think receiving input from outside your organization and ministry is important. Yes. It doesn't matter how wonderful we are, how much God has blessed us. We have our vision and values and things, but often there are little things or even big things we don't see because we're all involved in this thing. And it's some friend outside, some other church leader, ministry leader, just speaking in saying, hey, Larry, Peter, you know, this, this is going well. I see this could be a bit of an issue, you know, just that outside input. I help. It helps us stay fresh and seeing things that we don't see. I mentioned the whole thing of tacit knowledge transference, having a plan, communicating the plan, Mm. uh, being clear on your theology, being very clear whether internal leadership is the way uh, you want to go as an organization, uh, having the ceremony. Those things are important. I think the other thing I would say is the relationship between the outgoing leader or founder and the new leaders after the succession is just as important as the relationship before. That is true. That's crucial. So when the transition has happened, the communication, the ongoing communication relationship between the former leader and the current leader is important. Said we want that former leader to be encouraging the new person. We want them publicly to be getting behind the initiatives. Communication clear, it's just crucial. So sometimes the transition can go well, but post-transition, especially if the former leader starts to see changes they're not always happy with, how they handle that and how that's dealt with between those leaders is really crucial. You know, Peter, I've also read, like a response to this, that the relationship between the former leader's spouse and the new leader's yes, spouse yes. is also important in this process. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Larry. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. The spouses need to be involved. They need to be on board with what's happening and also uh, agree as well. Yes. Now, Peter, you have so much inside you. You've learned so much over the years about succession. And, and I've watched you help leaders, global leaders. Uh, and uh, so you, you said, and we're going to put this in the show notes, there's a way to get your PhD study on this. Talk to us about that. Yeah, sure. So my actual doctoral research is available online through the University of Manchester in England. It's just part of their online resources. We'll have it on the show notes. Anybody can can get that. Um, So that's available. Also, I can be available if we put our contact details here at Dove International. uh, If people have questions and want to ask more. Um, I have spoken on this. I have helped do some seminars on this. So I can be available if people there in the body of Christ would like to have further input or questions. Yes, and you're also a published author. Talk to us about your 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 books you published. Sure. Yes, well, many things. I've published some things on church history, the use of uh, small groups in church history uh, through house-to-house publications. Uh, Also, I've published in some academic journals. Um, I've published on the whole issue of reflexivity as Christian leaders, which means how much we do we reflect on ourselves Mm -hmm. in what we're doing and how much are we as people affecting our 
theologies and decisions. Uh, that's some academic research. Uh, also, in the whole area of missions is important to me. So we have a book called Evolving Missions, which we just published in 2020, which is 24 people from around the world, all contributing on missions, different aspects, children and missions, women and missions, missions and special needs, the connection between worship and missions, culture issues. Mm. Um, so Evolving Missions uh, is uh, an important book. And we're just about to come up with something called Preparing to Go, which is really a guide to short-term mission sure. teams. Uh, practical stuff on what to take and how to be prepared, but the spiritual preparation, how to behave in another country, uh, how to debrief. So important. So those are some of the things yeah. that I'm published and the books are available through House to House uh, website. Good. And yeah. as I mentioned, all of this is on the show notes. And uh, Peter, you've been a great blessing to me personally. And now you're becoming a great blessing to so many. And anyone you're saying, man, I need some help with this. Reach out to Peter. Again, his information is on the show notes you can pick up. And thank you for joining us today. This has really been fun. Great. Well, you're welcome. It's great to be here and talk about this important topic. Very, very, and very important. Larry, yeah. you've been a wonderful leader who've helped many in this issue as well. So we look forward thank to you. what God's going to do in the future. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for joining us today for the Larry Crowder Leadership Podcast, where we take these small things we learned, they can be very small, and make decisions that can make massive differences in our lives and the lives of those we serve in the future. So we've got every week, we've got a new podcast coming out, a new leadership podcast coming out, interviewing people from all over the body of Christ and literally from different parts of the world. And so glad you've joined us today. And again, Peter, thank you for joining us and making this possible today. You're welcome. God so bless you. God bless you all and look forward to seeing you again real soon. Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com. 